103.5 FM WNHHLP, where you will hear conversation, information, education, inspiration, motivation from the American urban perspective. Urban Talk Radio is also being simulcast on New Orleans Talk Network Radio, NOTN, an interactive media website that features 24-hour radio, video streams, article blogs, and information on social living and current news. Today on Urban Talk Radio, we are discussing race and politics. You can join the conversation on Facebook at Bold Minds and Twitter at Bold Minds. You can also stream this show live on your smartphone or computer by logging on to newhavenindependent.org. And welcome to our 2017 edition of Urban Talk Radio. Moving forward this year in February, we will be changing our schedule time, and we actually will be changing our show format. We will be going out into the field and actually conducting interviews and doing some more real-time uh, I guess you would say in a way reporting because even though this is Urban Talk Radio, this is this is news. This is real-time information that people are giving their opinions and facts from America, from the urban community, the way they see it. And a lot of what we deal with in our country really relies on people's perspectives. And false perspectives often can misshape the way we view each other in America and true perceptions can often put things in its proper category to elevate parts of our community to a level of respect that they've always been seeking. So today on Urban Talk Radio, I have in the studio a really dear friend of mine. I've known this gentleman for a long time. I don't want to date myself, but it's a couple of decades or more. And he's one of those people in the community. To call him a community leader really doesn't begin to describe the work he's done to call him an entrepreneur really doesn't begin to describe the hard journey that he's embarked upon with himself and his family. And I think a lot of times we don't understand that we see in America, we'll see a celebrity and we'll say, wow, look at that guy, you know, look at that, that, that woman and think that they just jumped into money or they just jumped into success or uh, Beyonce just automatically woke up. She could sing and dance. Uh, president Obama just woke up one morning and said, you know what, I'm going to be a Senator and then I'm going to run for president. But if you've, if you're out there and you're struggling and you're, you're really trying to using the old phrase that grandma uses, you're trying to be somebody in life, you know, then you realize that it requires you to get up every day. And I'll share a secret that I have, you know, often when I have something really, really big to do, and it is that successful day. I don't know what that day could be. It could be, you know, I'm going to close a really big deal. And it's like, wow. And you got to get up in the morning. And for some reason, I have a moment of anxiety that just says, nah, forget about it. Just lay in the bed and sleep. It'll be okay. And I don't know what that is. But I can tell you, once you work past that one moment and step out of bed and move forward, that is the success in your life. That's the success in that moment. And that's that's a struggle. So um, today we have a timely discussion. We're going to talk about a few things. We're going to talk about race. We're going to talk about politics. And over the last two, three years, race has been a growing 
fuel to fire conversation in our country. And often there is no safe space. Everyone's looking for a safe space to have a conversation about race. And now with the outgoing President Obama and the incoming President Donald Trump, it seems that after a very fiery electoral period, race is something we can't escape anymore. It's almost like the atmosphere that looms over our blue world here. So we're going to talk about a few things today, and I'll start off with introducing my guest. His name is Miguel Pittman. Uh, Miguel is, is an entrepreneur. He's a community leader. He's active in community affairs. Um, pretty much everywhere I'm at, I always see him. And like sometimes I got to look out for him and see where he's at so I can restage my uh, approach to dealing with some issues. But he's active on the mayor's task force for community policing, which was a, a new venture that the mayor uh, sparked about two years ago. Uh, Miguel is also uh, heavily involved in uh, police commission uh, affairs as well. He's he's a, he's involved in community development, um, seems to be pretty well versed on local politics. And so. I'm sure between our community here in Connecticut and also in New Orleans, you probably have a Miguel Pittman there who is trying to really make things better for himself and his family. And he lives in, he lives in the, in the city as well, um, right in the core of the city. So I'll let him take it away here. Miguel, good morning. Welcome to Urban Talk Radio. Good morning. So Miguel, you could have just uh, been a black man sitting home, counting your money, taking care of your family, loving your wife, but somehow you seem to want to do more. Why? Well, it goes back when I was third grade, when I noticed that I didn't have some of the things that some of the other kids had. One of the things that I was lacking at that moment of my life is I didn't have a father only had a mother and my mother, she raised all four of us by herself. And, and I seen the struggle. She didn't share that struggle with me, but I seen the struggle. So what I said to myself, I wanted to try to contribute to my family. So that means I had to go out and that means that I had to work. My first Endeavor was in third grade. My mother used to give me allowance on Fridays. And my allowance was 10 cents. Now I'm going back in the 60s. 10 cents was a lot of money. But what I did, I took that 10 cents and I invested. I went to the corner store. I bought four squirrel nuts. I bought three now laters and I bought three pencils. The next day I went to school and I started my business. So that really I would say spearheaded me to move towards entrepreneurship. Because at that age I recognized the value of a dollar. But I also recognize that if you want to go get the dollar, you have to go step up to the plate and you have to create some type of stream of money so you could be able to get that dollar. So it sounds, so it sounds like you've always had uh, 
to have like died. So uh, is that something that's always been into in your? Uh, is it a talent or is it something that you just automatically have? I wouldn't say that it's really a talent because that was something that I I had to develop, something that I had to nurse, something that I had to feed. And when you feed knowledge, what comes behind it is wisdom if you live long enough. But due to my environment, things was kind of difficult. I was raised in New Hallville on the corner of Winchester Avenue and Hazel Street. My mother worked at the store, which is next door to our house. Not a house, but our apartment. Back then it was called B&K Variety Store. She worked part-time. But she just barely just made enough money to pay rent to make sure that we did have some type of food on the table. We wasn't fortunate enough back then to go to Jimmy's or to go to a fancy restaurant to eat. Out of seven days, five of those days, what we ate was green peas, rice, and chicken wings. Mm -hmm. That's what I was raised up on. And we all know Thanksgiving comes only once a year. Mm -hmm. That was feast. I was looking forward to Thanksgiving. That means I had a chance to have some ham, some turkey, some stuffing, some candy yams, macaroni and cheese, some collard greens, black eyed peas, and some potato salad. But let me ask you this. You're you're pretty versed on, you know, and this is why I have you here today. You're pretty versed on urban affairs in America. You know, we all both get bombarded in almost every setting. There's there's always a conversation when it seems that like you're problem solving around black people. You know, it comes back to fathers. Where are the fathers at? You know, uh, if these kids had fathers. Uh, I mean, growing up single parent, you know, as under a single parent, is is the father thing the mechanism i mean is it is that a problem i mean because what i see now we still are in a situation in america we're still turning out black boys for prison you know that is just it's just a real 762 murders last year in chicago almost almost doubled the amount from the year before and that's what a black president you know, so people could say, well, you know, there's no resources, or there's no hope. Um, there were, there could be a lot of different approaches to someone's disparity, but you got a black president for eight years. You do have free education. You know, sometimes it is somewhat segregated, but it is education nevertheless. You, you, you as I know, if you want to go to school and get that education, you can actually get it. Uh, there's money out there to sometimes survive you survive it in some of the worst way but you know not in all cases you're you're homeless and you know for sometimes for the folks that's out here doing these murders or are victimized of it they're not in that in that particular pocket so you know it seems as we as we would advance in america as a society black america would advance is it no fathers i mean well, what what is what what do you what do you think are the top three failure causes? 
for black men? Well, for one thing, you know, if you go back 200 years from this date, we were slaves. As a people, we really built America. That's one. And it's a reason why the slave owners used to separate the father from the mother or the kids to, to divide the family. And unfortunately, that same mindset is still within our subculture, within our DNA. Why does a black man leave his family in 2016? Why? It's a lot of things that's, that's, that's going on. But also when you, when you look at crime in general, Everything traced back to money, economics. Why are, why is all those shootings taking place in Chicago? I mean, when you look at the population of Chicago, say the black community in Chicago, it's less than probably 10th of 1% in the entire population of the black folks that live here in the United States. But the media always say Chicago this, Chicago that. Resources. If you have the resources that comes in and you start grooming those young folks at an early age and teach them economics, how to create their own business, and things of that nature, will they go out and commit crimes? No. Very small percentage of them will. Now, when you say crime, does crime exist, say, in East Haven and Brantford on that level? No, because they don't have that economic piece that they have their, their finances in order. Well, why, let me ask you this. New Haven's got uh, homicides were down last year, can continue to, to decline. What, what do you think is dropping? Because this is my theory always. New Haven is nearly not the size of Chicago. But, you know, I always believed that before Chicago got to the point where they had, uh, you know, 762 homicides, before they had 762 homicides, they had one. And then they had two. And then it just kept growing. They just, they just didn't go from 20 to 762. So I always look at every homicide counts. You know, my mother used to tell me that um, she had a daycare um, which your son, which your children went to actually, right? That's right. Um, and my mother used to say she could never understand why in Connecticut, at least at that time, you could have 12 children in your house and you could fall under very few regulations. But if you went over that, and went into like 16 kids, it would fall under a center and you, the, the regulations would be expanded and more strict. And she said the reasoning was because the state was more concerned with a large amount of children getting injured opposed to one or two. And her philosophy was that one child means something to somebody. So we don't need to count big numbers to make the number count. 
And I always looked at, you know, moving forward, I've always looked at people and people's condition. I use that kind of like as a measuring tool that we don't need 40 homicides because we had, say, 13 the year before. You don't need to wait till you get to, to, to 25 to say we have a problem. You have a problem the first time a body hits the ground. That's a problem. And if you could begin to triage and dissect that, uh, then you have something to try to bring forth an antidote. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons, I'm sure. You know, I I look at one of the reasons that the homicides certainly are up in Chicago is because a term that's used in policing, the cops have laid down. After all those shootings, uh, you know, of armed black males, controversial shootings of black men there and all of the scrutiny from the Justice Department and the public as well as the media, officers just, you know what, then why stick my neck out there and get and, and run the risk of getting myself fired or arrested or over scrutinized for what they believe is doing their job, sometimes without the proper equipment, sometimes without proper policies as you find moving forward. But that that raises the homicide. So that goes back to black people don't like the police, don't want police really in their community. Police got to do their job. If the police pull back, how does the black community move forward in some cases mm-hmm. trying to police their community? So my question to you is, you're from New Haven. New Haven at some, uh, at some, at some of our highest points had 34. We were running 34 homicides in some cases, 26 homicides, 24 homicides. Now for almost two years in a row, New Haven's at, uh, you know, in the teens. Why? What's the mag? Is there a magic bullet? Well, you live in the city, right? You know, what I mean, right? Is, is it a magic bullet? Well, I don't think that it's a, it's a magic bullet. Um, when you look at crime in general, not only is it down here in New Haven, but overall throughout the entire country, it's 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 down. So, just like you say that. When you look at 24 deaths versus 13, and these things, these unfortunately, these deaths is happening in certain communities here in New Haven. The psychological component is the effect is still the same. They say, yeah, you know, crime is down in New Hallville. But still, the residents feel the impact of death in their community. They have to worry about their kids when they go outside. Got to worry about drive-by shootings and et cetera. So the mental part is still being, is still being felt. And when you, when you look at the black community versus the suburbs, when the suburbs, when the economy drops, the suburbs might have a cold. But that impact in the black community, we have the flu. So everything is multiplied by 10 in terms of the effect. Now, when you look at drugs in general, when you look at the 70s, when a lot of our vets came back from the Vietnam War, unfortunately, a lot of them 
came back with an opiate habit. That's when heroin was very prevalent back in the 70s. But it really wasn't an issue to the city or to the state or to the federal government because that was being portrayed within the black community. Now we go back to 2015. Now it's starting to spread out to the suburbs. Why is it now considered as an epidemic? But when it was happening in the black community and people was ODing daily, 10, 15, 20 people a day in the black community, we didn't get any press. We didn't get the federal government to try to intervene to stop the heroin from coming in our community. It wasn't a concern to them. So I, I think that some people, you know, there's so there's a few ways to look at that. I, I've heard that that approach um, a lot lately. And, you know, one could say, well, when there was an epidemic back then, no one really had data on what would happen if you did not put certain measures in place. So if we wanted to look at it, we could say, unfortunately, black people became uh, guinea pigs or, or a testing ground uh, or the, the unfortunate introduction to the unknown. Now we know the effects, right? We're still somewhat, it was like, a, I kind of look at it like a, a humongous snowstorm. We're still digging out from under the snow of that. That's right. Now, moving forward, we see the, you know, the, the heroin and fentanyl combination in some cases and say, wow, we need to get in front of this because if we don't, we already know what happened with that other drug, that culture, that society. We'll have two cultures collapsing in America simultaneously. One still digging themselves out of that snowstorm. The other, it's going to be like an avalanche because the people that are being more affected are white Americans. They do have more access to money. Um, they are going to be off the radar of law enforcement and sure. it means they're going to use it more. They're going to have more access to it. It's, it's just going to be way out of control. So someone's thinking, hey, you know what? Might be a good idea. Try to get in front of this. Um, I think the implication is after you look at it, though, it does look like it's a black and white issue because it's like, what? why brothers had to go to jail? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Why the brothers had to go to jail? And, wh and why this dude, uh, why is this dude getting a medical bracelet? You know, that's not right. Um, but then, you know, I think that's just one of our challenges in the country. You know, what, what really uh, is amazing to me in some cases you know, where you might have this particular drug being sold in the African-American community with the community around saying, mm, I want to get involved. And that goes back to that just whole conversation about community wellness. You know, when one would assume, you know, and, and, and I like to consider that I'm, I'm half smart. You don't get to a place and I'll just use New Haven as a test case because used as a test case for a lot of things around the country. But you don't get to a place where you are in New Haven, you know, roughly with 13 homicides because uh, just because you've got a great police department or just because you've got a great medical facility or just because 
you've got some great something. This is a combination of a lot of things in a city working together to a degree. Doesn't doesn't mean everything's running at 100%. And I have not done a litmus test, so I couldn't tell you what that percentage is. But I think part of it is when you've got a, a person like yourself, your wife and your family, and you're right in, in the middle of one of those neighborhoods. You know, that neighborhood is no longer, as we used to say in the black community, it's not brain dead. You here. You're involved. You're like the you you are like the uh mayor, all the person, the sheriff, the police chief. You got a restaurant, so you're feeding people, you're employing people, and you're active in the community. So just that in itself, it's almost like a you know, it's like a heat wave going through the community. We have a lot of you in New Haven. Is that what it takes in places like Chicago? A lot more of you in places of Chicago and other towns and make the difference? Sure, it makes a difference, but I'm sure that it's probably a thousand people just like me that's in Chicago. So what's the magic then? There's a magic. Because we could have we could have 500 homicides here, too. It's not like we're out of, we run out of people to kill. There's always people around to kill. There's always kids. There's a, there's right. a lot of people. I mean, it, you know how it goes. It's just it won't stop. Mm-hmm. But what is it? It's got to be, there's some secret sauce. Well, again, you know, as I said earlier in our, in our segment, it all comes down to economics. It all comes down to money. You could trace any problem. And it comes down to money. And it has to do with lack of funds that they receive there in Chicago. I mean, they are being boxed out, you know? I mean, even if you was to go back and look at the demographics of where we live back in the 60s and 70s in New Haven, we was in the Dixwell Avenue area. It's like 99%. African-American. And back then, the turnout voting rate for the community was like 97% of those folks in that community went out and voted. So they could demand certain things. So even if you look at how many people voted in November in New Hallville, the numbers are low. So they really don't even show up on they really don't show up on the radar. Why is that? Well, because they're not going out and voting. So I guess part of the administration, they're not really contributing fully to the New Hallville. So how do we get, you know, what's interesting is that sometimes when you hear, uh, you know, I might show up in a neighborhood. Somebody says, well, what are you doing here? You don't, you don't even live here. And I always look at it as I'm black. I'm from New Haven. Wherever I go in New Haven, that's my community. So I don't have to pick a neighborhood. I, I don't even know where that came from, picking a neighborhood. Um, and I hear that around the country. People say, well, so-and-so is from the south side and so-and-so is from the west side. As you get older, you know your tax money goes everywhere. Sure. You know, you, you're feeding people you ain't never even met before. And so, you know, that kind of moves it moves us to, you know, a, a different uh, conversation around the election now. You know, we have a new president is going to step in in the next couple of days. And it seems, it seems literally to be a verbal revolt that's taking place. I, I, I watched the 
video by DL DL Hughley, the backlash that um what is his name? Steve Harvey got from agreeing to get involved in President Trump's administration. And it's almost right now, it's like a hit list that's being put out. Uh, you know, that if you as a black person sign on to this administration in any way, you be prepared. If, if you got to get your money from the public, uh, you know, you're an entertainer. Um, you're looking for black support. You're looking for black, uh, what we call it, certification. Then you cannot publicly support this administration. That's that's the theme that I'm. Are you are you getting that feeling? Yes, I mean that that theme is is real. I mean, how could you support a candidate that runs for the president of the United States, which is supposed to represent we the people, everyone? And he starts singling out certain races like. They saying that majority of us African Americans, we live in the slums. <laughs> That's not true. He spoke about every race, every group except for the KKK. Spoke against Mexicans, spoke against women, spoke against lesbians, gays. He spoke against POWs disability he spoke against everyone except for the kkk and for and he still won even though he's going to be sworn in to be the next president trump doesn't dictate my future i dictate my future it's not based upon his policies and his procedures because one thing about it is that, you know, I believe in the law of attraction. And also that falls in, in the realm of your faith in terms of who I believe in. If somebody say no to me, it's up to me to accept no. If I don't accept no, that means yes. And that's how I move. So, Trump, again, being president is not going to affect my, my restaurant. It's not going to affect my properties that I own. It's not going to affect my internet company that I own. It's not going to affect my domain company I own. It's not going to affect me. Well, but So, on the other side, wouldn't someone say what President Obama was in there that didn't he, Same thing. Because when President Obama was in office, uh, well, for eight years, you know, part of the argument when you talk to some of the more grassroots black people, which I actually consider you one too, but the ones that are like you minus the money, they were their per- perspective was, well, you know what, I'm on the ground here, nothing in the White House impacts me. I ain't never going to meet the president. Um, I'm still going to be broke. I'm still going to be struggling. I'm still going to be unemployed. I'm still, I'm still going to be grinding. You know, I like the fact that, yeah, that make me feel a little good, but what's that going to, how does that translate into my rent, rent getting paid? So there's a group, there's always been a group of people in America that feel the president does not directly impact their life. 
is it the is it the incendiary comments? Is that what it? Because that's what it seems like. Like it almost, I almost get the feeling that like black people don't like Donald Trump because he disrespected them, and they're like stuck on the I got disrespected, right. and he disrespected us from the beginning. So when he get in to be president, I still feel disrespected unless, and nobody's really feeling that unless piece. So if he apologizes four times and starts putting black people in place in his cabinet, do black do black people relax, or do they still stay mad? Well, for one thing, I mean we are we are conditioned to fight from birth. I mean we are conditioned to go the complete marathon. So, again, it goes back to what I said. You determine if Donald Trump is going to affect you. You determine if Donald Trump is going to affect your community. But what would, so here's my question to you. What would it take? What would it take for this new president in, in order for him to get the black community back on board so that he can have a constructive conversation where he can get them on board as a black community to move forward with this administration. What what do you think that would take? Or or it's just that's, it, that's, it can't happen. Is it, is it, it, it? That's just like a, a that's a billion dollar question because it's based upon his credibility and the things that he said. He can't he can't erase that. Who right? So he's gonna say sorry. Let's just say, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and then the lips. Right. right. Okay. Now you want to see some 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 skin in the game. Right. Who are you going to put? Who needs to be where? That's my question to you. Well, I would say his first step, um, well, I mean, just even coming out the gate, you know, trying to disassemble Obamacare. How about Secretary of State? He makes a black Secretary of State. No. Who does he make? I would say a key component would be who he decides that he want to nominate as the Supreme Court judge. Okay. That's a huge piece. So if he end up hiring, I mean, nominating someone like Session with the same mindset, it says, it says what it is. Right. So... So that's one Supreme Court. What's the other? Because one Secretary of State. No, no, no. I can't think of a another one. That's that's pressing to me. Does he need to diversify the cabinet? It's too late. He already made his statement. Mm. He already made his appointments. It's too late. You know, what's interesting, I was watching last night, I was in a Snoop Dogg mode, so I watched this documentary on Snoop Dogg. We went to Jamaica. It's a really good documentary, actually. And But before I watched that, I was showing a video on Facebook. And very raw video, where he was pretty much calling out all black entertainers to find out who's going to be there with his words. And I can't use profanity on the air, but his words were, which one of you, uncle Tom's boom, 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 are going to be the first one to go and, 
and give in and cave in and go do the inauguration. So they literally have like a black, um, we call it a black musician blackout, almost, if you will, that the word is being put out for black, top grade black entertainers that you are not to get involved just in this scenario, something that people would have normally broke their neck. You know, everybody right. wants to be there. Do you think Kanye West will do it? You think he'll do it? That's a good question. I mean, it is. I mean, definitely. Uh, I'm going to say that, no. That that particular community, they are coming together. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to say no. I'm I, Even though I mean, Kanye West do some crazy stuff. Yeah. He, he do some real crazy stuff. Um, I don't think he would recover financially from his fans i think he's gonna take um a big hit you know what that would that, that would be the sign of death for him yeah. in terms of his career i don't, I don't think he would do it. unless he gets promised something i really mean he big. already visited trump already and got a lot of backlash off of that so imagine if he go there i mean that's gonna be a big hit you know i wouldn't be surprised if i see him two months from now wrapped up in a white suit with his hands crossed <laughs> you know so i'm not um, a big kaya west fan kaya yeah. I, I i love you man but i'm not a big fan of your music anyway he, he did some good stuff every now and then yeah, yeah. i'm i'm i like p diddy he's <laughs> well p diddy is a businessman yeah so. he, yeah, he, yeah i like that he can and he can act a little bit too he needs to do a little bit more acting i think sure if you just join us today on urban talk radio we're discussing race and politics and how it's affecting our community wellness in America 2007 as we move forward in this uh, new presidency. And our in-studio guest today is Miguel Pittman. Miguel is an entrepreneur and a community leader here in the New Haven, Connecticut area, New England. And we've been talking about a few issues around uh, gun violence in the urban community, uh, some poverty issues, issues around she would say, you know, upward mobility. And most recently we we're just discussing, um, you know, this, some call it a backlash. I, I don't even know if we want to call it a backlash now. Um, you know, there's a conversation about Obamacare and Obamacare. President Trump says Obamacare is going to get repealed. He's going to repeal it, amend it and, and appeal it and approve it all in one day. That's what he says. All in one day, it's going to all get done. I just attended a fraternal order police conference this weekend for five days in Florida. And believe it or not, that was a big item topic at the conference talking about how Obamacare will impact police officers because uh, many of us celebrated at the fact that under the current Obamacare, our children are covered until they're 26 years old and anything you can do to cover the police children, (laughs) they love it. Um, So there's a lot of anxiety because a lot of police officers support Donald Trump. And so it's like, it's Donald Trump. It's like, yeah, but he's going to cut your Obamacare, bro. What's up with that? Oh, we got, we got confidence. We, we, we're, we're, we're hopeful. We're hopeful. And then there's the other side of folks who say, um, who are not law enforcement in America who says, you know, get rid of that Obamacare. We don't need that anyways. People need to go to work, do some, do some work and get their job done. Um, or go get a job and, and pay their own stuff. But, uh, as I reminded some folks the other day, uh, the vast majority of poor people in America are white. <laughs> it's not black. There's, there's only a small amount of black people in America. Uh, I think when I ran the numbers, 
they not they ran the numbers of black people before you start separating all the different ethnicities. It's about fifty four. I think it's like fifty four million. Um, and as of two thousand fourteen and two thousand fifteen, roughly eighty eight percent of them had health coverage. So a vast majority of Black America has health coverage. Um, it is the this killing Obamacare is going to impact significantly poor white America in areas that we are not normally familiar with because we don't see them on TV. You know, the, the news has done a great job of not showing poor white people on TV. So we really don't know and truly understand the struggle of poor white America, which I think is a new conversation we need to really start having because uh, white America are people too when they're poor. They count. Um, and we found a way somehow in this country to discount poor white people and hide them away in some special spot that there's never a conversation about them. Their voice is never heard. They are almost the last on the toting pole to have that discussion. And it's just from what I believe, I just my, it's my theory that killing Obamacare is going to kill them um, first, um, as along with all the other poor people in America who often don't have a voice. But as you mentioned, I believe that black people in America, they'll figure it out um, because we were always seem to be thrown into a situation of having to figure it out, you know, uh, and if enough noise is made and that's all you see on the news is black people saying, I want justice. I want justice. Somebody gonna get them something, you know, squeaky wheel gets the oil. So that goes to in the last part of our show. As of last night, there were 60, 60, uh, Black elected officials in Congress, between it looks like Congress and the Senate, not going to the inauguration. As of two days ago, I believe it was Washington had posted that there were 200 buses or permit buses or permits for buses set up to go to the inauguration, take people to inauguration, to go to the Women's March, which is the counter march to the inauguration. There were 1,200 bus permits. So, what's going on, man? You go, Are you going to the inauguration? No way in the world. <laughs> no. You going to watch Definitely. it on TV? No, huh? I'm not even going to watch it on TV. Listen, you might actually yeah. be able to get an affordable ad for, um, for Sandra's yeah. Yeah. On, the, on, on this inauguration. You know, it, it may be a lot of good slots, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it seems that, um, I mean, what's your feeling about that? The, the, the Women's March now, going, I, I believe it's going in conjunction with the inauguration. It's around that time. I don't, I don't, I haven't followed it closely like that to know uh, the schedule. Saturday, okay. Okay. When's the inauguration? Friday, okay. See, I'm not, that I, shows I gotta you. catch up on my nugget. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not even, yeah. you know, yeah. paying attention I to that I went to part. the one when President Obama was there. So when he went and got in office, I did go to, mm -hmm. I believe, the first one. I did go to the first one. I took the train. I drove down with my whole family. We took the train. I had my mom. My father-in-law lives down there. So we stayed literally right in right in Washington, he's involved in politics, so we got the whole grand tour and the deal. And um, In fact, my son, I remember my son was so proud, he's 16 now, 
then I think he might have been eight or seven. Yeah, he was about eight because he's now 16. And I, I set him up on my shoulders. We were right at the fence when President Obama and um, Michelle Obama got out of the out of the motorcade. They were not supposed to get out. And he got out and walked. And so my son got a great picture, which actually wound up going into the New Haven Museum here that we have in the city. Uh, um, they did a, a piece on it. So for him, super awesome. Wow. It was, it was just like, and, and let me tell you, for anybody that's never been to these inaugurations as a common person, it, it's an arduous task. You've got to take the train. There's no, you know, at least for President Obama was, there were millions of people. You were shoulder to shoulder. We stood up for five hours in one line just to move. You know, you're, you're moving literally like a foot, you know, every half an hour to get to where you got to go to. You finally get into this thing only to to experience the parade that last 30 minutes. That, that was with him going through 30 minutes at best. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how the news covers this, you know, and how it comes out. Now I'm hearing that there's not going to be a parade. It doesn't make sense yeah. to have a parade because you figure majority of the people voted against Trump. Mm. So, um, <laughs> closing. So here's my closing words, and I find to ask you what yours are. My belief around this thing with race and politics in the country is the great thing about living in America. In my 49, about to be 50 years in, a, in about another 30 days, is that despite whatever we've gone through, there is a chemical within our American fabric that is always leading us towards getting things done somehow in a unified way. So I kind of look at it as if this is certainly a new growing port, point in America where we have to deal with some things and race is going to be certainly one of the hotter topics of something that we can no longer, we can no longer hide this. This is going to be a conversation that has to be had and something that we're going to have to learn how to make it our new normal conversation. So I'm confident, you know, that we have a country, no matter who the president is, that the fabric of the country itself will hold. I believe that. Um, what are your thoughts, closing thoughts on that? Well, my closing thoughts is where is good, bad is always going to be present. That's not never going to go away. But at the end of the day, good always out trump bad. So I feel positive about the future of our country I feel positive about the future of our people um, so I'm gonna do my part you know and I'm not the type of person that's gonna sell out you know I'm not the type of person that's gonna move from where I live on Orchard Street which I can live really anywhere in this country I want to live but I choose to stay in, in, in my neighborhood and I'm comfortable with that because I think it's important for me not only 
to be an example of, quote, success, but also be in a position where I could reach down and pull somebody else up and show them how that they could sit in the same seat that I'm sitting in right now. Because my, my thinking, my philosophy is that when you bless others, you get it 10 times back. So when I have a conversation with someone and I might share some knowledge, I am investing in them. And God take care of me. He worked me up in my right mind and good health. He keep my family intact. He keeps me humble. So I guess that would be my, my, my closing um, words besides um, maybe the appointment of the next police commissioner probably need to be a resident from New Hallville. Has it never been a commissioner that came from New Hallville? That appointment is coming up February 1st. It's two seats that's going to be available. And obviously our mayor is the one that's going to decide if she's going to keep the existing people that's in place or bring somebody else in new. So that's my closing, uh, my, my, my closing words. If you just join us today on Urban Talk Radio, we were discussing race and politics and how it is impacting community wellness. If you missed any part of this broadcast, you can log on to newhavenindependent.org. Miguel Pittman, thank you for joining us in the studio today. And remember, Urban Talk Radio airs every Wednesday at 9 a.m. to keep current on our latest shows and show schedules. You can join our blog at boldminds.co. Thank you for turning to Urban Talk Radio. No matter what. That's story.